Welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Delling Pod. And I'm very, I know I always say this, but I really am excited about this week's special guest. He has been on my radar for for many months, if not several years. Uh, I know him from Twitter. His name is Brian of London. Well, that's Twitter handle. And I think I'm going to love Brian, even though I've only just met him seconds ago, because Brian's from Israel, and I've kind of, I, I'm in love with Israel, even though I've barely been there at all. And Brian's going to talk to me about important things like why I'm so similar to Daron from Fowder, and, you know, it's my one of my favourite TV programmes, and why I'm probably an honorary Jew. I think I probably am, Brian, do you think? I mean, look at yeah, me. Yeah, you I'm, would be... Well, you've got the part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, look. I'm, I'm neurotic. I'm uh, brilliant, obviously, very intelligent. Um, I'm kind of aggressive. I don't take prisoners. No, I'm, I'm not suggesting that the IDF don't take prisoners, but you know what I mean. Uh, I think I think I'd probably get on, wouldn't I, if I were to discover a, a bit like in Daniel Deronda, where where the author, sorry, the the main character discovers suddenly that he's Jewish. I think I'd be a good Jew. <laughs> Listen, look, you know, this happens more often than than people realize. And especially, in fact, gosh, this we're going to go off on a tangent right from the start. But Spain, yeah, like Spain Spanish Jews, that there's there's all sorts of uh, people in Spain that keep and, and actually South America, too. Um, there's there's whole sort of sections of the world that had been Jewish and lost it. And right when when they come back to find some sort of jewish heritage they feel a kind yeah. of comfortableness with it that is hard to explain by all the normal methods yeah so so you know i'm not saying you're not but uh <laughs> yeah well you know i mean funnily enough in the last podcast i i i had a, a chat about i i like old school Church of England before it went, if, if there ever was such a time before it went wet, you know, I mean, I, I like being part of the, uh, that as being as part of my heritage. But at the same time, you know, I certainly wouldn't complain if suddenly I found myself eligible to go and live in Israel, you know, as a, as a, as a Jew. Well, you know, um, so, so let me explain, you know, the reason I'm called Brian of London is that I grew up yeah. in British public school you know london and and went to a, yeah. a northwest london public school with the whole um uh, what have I, god my i've lost i've lost my english you know what's the thing you do in the morning at school when you all sit there in the headmaster well, chapel, chapel. oh well, chapel. assembly i suppose assembly assembly, assembly that's the word yeah we had chapel too but i tend not to go to those but we had assembly every morning we sang hymns onward christian soldier i know the lot of them I, I can do them. Yeah. I do all of them. Jerusalem, obviously. Um, <laughs> but that was my upbringing. And uh, yeah. until 11 years ago, I lived in London. Uh, and then I made what we Jews call Aliyah, which technically means go up. Uh, and that's how I come to be in Israel, because I, I wanted to leave and bring I wanted to bring up my Jewish kids here because it right. feels right. Um, yeah. That you know, there was a double thing. It was a pull for Israel and a push from London. Yeah. I didn't, unfortunately, I didn't feel comfortable there, sort of being Jewish. And I had a sneaking feeling 
that um, it was going to get more complicated to be Jewish in England. And it did. And you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can talk about that in a bit. I, tell me what are what were the culture shocks? Because you, you're you're in a way my my emissary to Israel. You can describe what it what it's like being an English person, then going out to what what would I find weird if I if I suddenly became if I suddenly became Jewish and I discovered that I could go and live in Israel. What would what would be the the really weird things that I would discover? Well, first off, for me, obviously language is an issue. I had been try. I married a Jewish woman actually way back, and she came to live yeah. with me in England. And uh, we had one child and we moved here whilst the second was on the way. So I'd been on and off backwards and forwards to Israel with her family, but I'd never learned Hebrew properly. So I got here. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't go to the language lessons that I should have done. I went straight into business. So my Hebrew still sucks. I, I get by, but I can't read and write. I mean, I, I mean, it, it's a struggle to I can read a menu at a restaurant. And so yeah. I'm a PhD educated physicist and I'm functionally illiterate. Uh, and and that's frustrating. It's frustrating. And and it it does mean that when it comes to like internal Israeli politics, I'm not reading as much as I should. I'm better on the sort of yeah. worldview of Israel than I am on the minutiae of what goes on here. Because it's not explained in English and it's not explained anywhere in English. Um, so that, that, that's the culture that, that keeps you. So I thought the Jerusalem post would, would, would oh. be, is the Jerusalem post not. There's Jerusalem post. And then there's an English version of Haaretz. Uh, and Haaretz is like far hard left. Um, Haaretz is, is beyond guardian. guardian. The Jerusalem Post, unfortunately, has slid to the left. The Times of Israel was invented a few years back, and that's also gone left. So they're really, the only things that are right and in English, there's a thing called a Roots Sheva, which, which means Channel 7, which is a website. Um, that's right wing. And then there's, there's, there's real dichotomy. Um, finding good central stuff here in English is hard. Mm. So that's the first culture stuff. But then... Then more than, you know, that's the technical stuff. But there's just the country is so weirdly not Jewish in the way that most see most people outside of Israel that the most of the Jews they know are the Westernized Ashkenazim, the sort of Europeanized Jews. Right. Israel is a massive mix of Jews from Arab countries, which makes up Jews from Arab countries and from North Africa and that the Spanish sort of group of Jews fits in with the North Africans. It's this big mix. And then we've got Yemeni Jews. We've got um, the differences across the Arab world and then Persian Jews. We came from so many different places to here uh, yeah. that the cultures are just massively diverse. The food's diverse. Um, and I find that the psychology is really diverse. So I went into business here with my brother-in-law, who's he's part Ashkenazi and part Iraqi. His father um, came from Iraq and his mother came from Poland. You know, crazy mix like that. Where else in the world do you find Iraqi and Polish? And when you're doing business, there's an 
the the Jews who came from the Arab lands have a very different mindset to to Westernized Jews. And it's just you 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 only start to understand it when you live amongst it, and then you've got. 20% of the population that's actually Muslim Arabs and then you've got some Christian Arabs and then you've got Druze and then you've got um, uh, uh, on Mount Grishim which is 10 miles from here you've got those sort of remains of the Samaritans you know real people who call themselves Samaritans today and they live on a they used to live down in Hebron which used to be yeah. called Shechem but they've moved out of Heb, uh, sorry, not Hebron. Uh, Nablus is, is the, the the Arab name for it. They've moved out because they don't get on very well with the Arabs. So you've got these, uh, and then we, we you know, we've got uh, uh, Aramaic Christians up in the Galilee, and they're kind of the closest thing you'll get to a Jesus style of living, because they're actually well, they have long, long hair. Yeah, there's actually a very famous photograph of me in the office of a guy called Father Nadaf with Tommy Robinson, yeah. that's why it's famous. And and on the on the, the wall behind is, uh, is it, I can't remember who's on the wall, it might be Menachem Begin is on a photograph. So we're in, a, we're in an, an Aramaic Christian priest's office with Tommy Robinson wearing an IDF t-shirt, me wearing a Mossad t-shirt, standing there. I mean, it's just the craziest, stupidest picture. And the white, mm. the, the white nationalists throw it at me all the time. But it was it was just a meeting we had because we were up there, and this this uh, this thing of driving across the country and meeting all these different, completely different people, uh, yeah. and to think to, you know to, to have someone tell me it's an ethno state or a monoculture is it's the most yeah. ridiculous thing. I think people outside Israel they think we're all Woody Allen or Alan Dershowitz living here, and it is just so not like that. Um, I've got to ask you, Brian, in the yes. area where the Samaritans live, is the suicide rate dramatically lower than in the rest of the country? <laughs> I have a feeling they have nothing to do with that. I know. I know. That's every, every time I hear that name, that's what I think of, too. Because... <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't I couldn't resist. OK, so it's not full of of Woody Allen. So you've you've kind of disabused me of that particular fantasy. Um, but. Presumably, I'm right on the fact that a lot of the girls in the IDF are just fantastically hot in their car keys. I, I, I'm going to have to plead the fifth. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. Let's not talk about. I know. Yeah. Look, but it's the women in general. You know, one of the things. You know, I grew up in London. You know what the, the weather's like and everything. And one of the yeah. things here is that that you know my life is. I, I'll tell you where I am. I, I'm just to the on the. I'm on the very northern edge of. Tel Aviv and I'm about 1.4 kilometers from the Mediterranean Ocean outside this window which I can't turn the camera around um, this window actually has a one centimeter thick steel shutter because the room that I'm in is the secure room in my built in my apartment which is technically a bomb shelter so does everyone have one of those is that is that part of the deal all all recent all, all buildings I think for the last 15 or 20 years have had a bomb shelter in them. Prior to that, there would always be a communal bomb shelter, um, but they've largely done away with communal bomb shelters. And what they do is when they build it, you know, this is like a nine story building. They build the central column of the building where the elevators are. And around there, you know, there's four apartments per floor and there's one room in each apartment that's right in the core of the building. 
steel, you know, thick door like this with steel, thick steel shutter that I can slide across the window. Um, and, you know, it's not when we know that there are increasing tensions, which has happened sort of two significant times since I've been here, you know, then we yeah. prepare the room, we make sure it's tidy, we we close the, the steel shutter and leave it closed. And then the alarms go, you've got to hear where we are. If the missiles are coming from Gaza, we've got about 90 seconds to get into this room and shut the door. Down next to Gaza, right. it's 10 or seven. And that's, that's, 90 seconds is plenty you know you can find it's not a very big apartment i can assure you you can find all your kids in 90 seconds and get them in here um and but you know i have sat in this room with the door shut with the shutter closed with the siren going and it is a real proper world war ii style Woo! you know it's it's nasty yeah, and yeah. and then i've heard this like <clears throat> which is the sound of iron dome exploding above us and then you go out and look on your balcony oh, yeah. and you can see the trails. I've done that. It's real. It's not it's not yeah. a joke. Um, yes. Uh, and, and buildings like mine, uh, there's a famous one, actually, I think at the end of the last, I think in 2014, a building very similar in construction to mine was hit in Richon Litzion, which is just to the south. And it took a direct hit from one of their bigger grad missiles and yeah. Everybody was fine. But I mean, the building was a total mess, but people were inside their shelters. You know, the living rooms were just hanging in the air, but the central core remained undamaged. That's <laughs> that's very interesting. So it is real. OK. And it's, it, tell me. Yeah. What? I mean, how much of Israel is there? Are there is there a, is the kind of countryside that you can retreat to? Is it could you go out for a walk and not encounter other people and that kind? Of, could you get yeah. lost? Well, you can. You you can very very easily in basically the country um, without putting a map on the screen. Once you get past Jerusalem, a little bit past Jerusalem to the south and you draw a line there's a there's a big city called Beersheba Beersheba you know the arrival of the queen of Sheba that city yeah. from there all the way down to this tip at the south which is Elat it's just desert it's empty it's staggeringly okay. beautiful uh, and in fact I used to have a friend who used to live uh, she used to live down there she's moved in a in a town in the middle of the desert called Arad and to go down there with my wife's mall car, which is a big Jeep, and then just drive off into the, it's fantastic. I love, I love doing that. And, um, and then, yeah. yeah, it's not like, and then also if you go to the north, the north's a bit more crowded, uh, Galilee, and there's the Golan Heights, but you can drive around in the Golan Heights and you can go for walks, but yeah, you do, in the Golan Heights, the one thing is you do every now and then come across a barbed wire, uh, a barbed wire marked area and there's a sign that says landmines so you know we haven't we haven't completely uh, <laughs> cleared all the mines everywhere. right um yeah but, but presumably you get you get checkpoints manned by hot idf chicks you know there's a lot of country yes yeah I mean, what yeah, are those I mean, what are those hats about yeah. Let me tell you something about 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 the checkpoints. OK, so if I drive from yeah. here to Jerusalem, there's two roads. Yeah. OK, 
One road is the yeah. is the original road. It's called Highway One, and it kind of goes straight there. And Jerusalem is um, to the it's a bit south of Tel Aviv and to the east and up 800 meters. But there's a second road which we've built more recently, and that road technically cuts through the disputed territory. So when you go on that road, there's a, you have to go through a checkpoint. So you leave mm. undisputed Israel, you enter disputed Israel. And then when you get to the other side of this little bit in Jerusalem, you pass through another checkpoint. Now, going out, it's unguarded. Nobody looks at you. But when you go back in, you have to slow down, go over a few speed bumps and a bored soldier looks into your car. Oftentimes it's a woman. And there's, a, there's, a, there's actually a psychological reason. We use small women to do this checkpointing uh, point because it turns out that, that um, aggressive young Arab males, yes. this doesn't always apply. They don't want to attack the women. That, but if they see a very big, if they're trying to kill themselves, if they see a big yeah. guy, they will go for it. Yes. But I, but this this is something I heard a few years back, and I think it's changed now because we we had a, ra a running over incident just what four weeks ago, where one of these guys committed suicide by, you know, he drove into a young woman. Yeah, she was thrown actually, but she was okay. But then one of her colleagues, another woman, just drilled the guy when he got out of the car. Shit. So yeah, um. I think this is changing, but but for a long time that that was actually, and it's still one of the reasons that the the guards at these places are, you know, oftentimes small women. Strange, but you know, somebody did the work. And what's that? You still have lots of my hat question, which which was which is a oh. separate question. What 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 is with that those those hats that that, that your IDF wear? The really sort of. I think it's camouflage that and it, there is a proper proper kevlar helmet underneath but then there's all this other floppy stuff is this for you mean for yeah, the floppy combat stuff. units yeah yeah it's 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 yeah. just to disguise where the head is um if you're going to be crawling around uh y you don't know where you know it 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 just makes a much larger area and oh interesting area there is a confuse you know it's it's confusion and deception <laughs> Right, I see. I see. That's good. Um, and um, is what about? I remember a while back. I remember um, passing through Israel for some reason. I was I was on the way to, on the way to somewhere else. But there was kind people were quite aggressive, or at least yeah, quite quite rude, quite brusque. I think is is that still a characteristic of of Israel? The the I think you know when I got here. Uh, yeah, I think service industries have come a long way, actually. We, we had a really yeah. bad, bad kind of reputation for service industries. But I think that that's, that's definitely improved. And, you know, look, the country's growing up all the time. We're so young. Um, yeah. You know, my fate, you know, from England, I remember a story from, I think it was one of the Oxford colleges from the, a friend's father, you know, a visitor comes from America and asks the porter, you know, is this building pre-war? And the porter says this building is pre-America. Well, Israel is so new, yet also post-war England. 
yeah, it's post every war, but but you know the yeah. country itself, the modern nation of Israel, 1948. But you go to Jerusalem and you're walking around on roads that are four thousand, you know, between three and four thousand years they've been like that. Yeah, well, did those feet in ancient times? Well, those to definitely walk through. through I, I mean, I don't know. Like Jerusalem now, like one of the things I always tell people to do is the tunnel tour, which what's called the tunnel tour. So what you know as the Western Wall or the Kotel is the the Western retaining wall of the mound of earth that just holds up the place where we used to have our temple. That's all it is. It's not very important. It's just a wall that holds back a big pile of earth in a place called Mount Moriah. This is something that very few people know. That site where today we have the Golden Dome and, and not a temple, uh, that's the site of Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where Abraham was supposed to sacrifice Isaac and he didn't. In fact, oh. right at the point of the Holy of Holies, where the holiest point of the temple was, is supposedly the spot. And that's exactly where they've stuck this golden dome and the mosque to the side. Um, but that wall, that wall that you see, the paving that's underneath it, what, what you can do is you can go through, there's a tunnel that they've excavated, which goes down and it goes down a heck of a long way uh, because that you're only seeing the upper third of that wall. The rest yeah. of it is underground. And, and when you go, Along that wall, you eventually wind up on paving stones that are Jesus era, you know, minus 2000. Cool. And, and you can do it. You can get there. Um, and, you know, I've spoken to so many Christians who come here. You know, when I used to when I used to live in England and I would come here and I would fly back and I would sit on the plane next to, you know, pilgrim tours that were going back to their church in England. I sat next to one, am I allowed to say big black woman? Um, and she was this South London kind of evangelical church. Yeah. She spent four hours. And I, I honestly, I didn't mind telling me about every tree was matching the description she read from her Bible. I won't do the accent. You know, that sort oh, of hunting Jamaican. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I could just, I, you'd have, it was just it was the most amazing heartwarming experience to realize she had lived her whole life reading a book and then she'd come here for two weeks and everything had been confirmed yeah yeah and also contra the current archbishop of canterbury she it sounds like she didn't have any problem with the fact that in most iconography jesus is white oh god <laughs> you, did you follow that nonsense so embarrassing. What, what has he said now? I haven't. I haven't seen the most recent. But he's like, oh, it's, we, Jesus he's gonna, he's going to have a look at all. He's going to look at all the statues, all the statuary and um, effigies and whatever in the in the church, just just to see whether they're <laughs> they're contentious and might need removing. And uh, also, he's concerned, you know, about the fact that Jesus has been portrayed as white when, in fact, you know, actually, probably he was. Um, Oh, I can't remember. It was just really embarrassing. But then, you know, look, I have this 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 notion of Israel being kind of like my dream country, full of people like me, because it's kind of it believes in free markets and it doesn't go no. with political correctness. No. But that's just no. not true, is it? 
it's, no, it's, it's actually got, quite left. Yeah, we've got a horrible mix here going on because we've got this. We there was definitely a whole big socialist thing going on. The whole kibbutz well, the movement. Kibbutz. Yeah, yeah, and and the earliest days of the was this left wing. It was massively dominated, and in fact, you know, it's it's even to call to call to call Netanyahu is one of the most free market guys there is, but it's still impossible to say that this thing is a free market here it's horribly corrupted by unions and we're having you know even with the covid thing going on the the teachers unions and the it just yeah everything is a mess um and and it's it's interwoven com com competing uh, grabs i mean netanyahu did in the 90s managed to sort of de he, he did a sort of an almost thatcher-esque Thing. And, and things moved here quite dramatically. But I would still say, and, and I must say, it's easy to start companies. It's relatively easy to hire and fire people here. But we do have a good working health system, which I like that the health system is actually three or four competitive, but sort of state supported uh, insurance models. But they're not like profit. You don't see waste. Um, you see them like, you know, I know that they buy secondhand computers and stuff like this. So it's it's done smartly. It's kind of NHSE, but but then the other thing is you can also you can top up with private healthcare at not ridiculous cost. And there isn't the stigma that, that England has to that, you know, sort of, oh my God, he's got booper. It it yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's 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 a lot of contradictions. I mean We are not, we, we, we're ferociously, uh, like, like we've had all of this stuff with the watching our cell phones and contact tracing. And there's been some pushback, uh, you know, sort of, should we just let the shin bet? Okay, the shin bet is Fowder. That's the, the guys in Fowder are working for what's called shin bet, which is the internal security services. The Mossad really has no impact on Israel day to day inside. Is, is the Mossad external affairs? The Mossad is external. That's stuff going bang in Iran, maybe, perhaps. Who, who knows? Um, who knows? And who knows? It's sort of, oh, look, it's on fire again. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the Shin Bet, we know what they do here. And they do the Fowder stuff. And they really do do that. I mean, I, I kind of know people who know people. And, and so, yeah, Shin Bet is MI5. Mossad is MI6, is MI6. Or, or the DGSSE. Yeah, exactly. That's the split. But but they're following. They apparently can just turn on some button and follow all our phones. I have no idea. I'm really technical. I kind of deeply understand this kind of stuff. I still have. And none of the press has gone into any detail over what they think they can do. Hasn't seemed to help. Um, but, you know, there was a little bit of a pushback. You know, people started to call the high court here but then again we've got this supreme this 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 high court here that's very left wing and they and they're the ones fighting with bb and dragging bb through what i consider oh. mostly nonsense and, and you know what you know what gets me about it? it's embarrassing because the numbers are so ridiculously small i mean we're gonna take out it's yeah. like fifty thousand dollars are you kidding me Come on, it's, come with a proper it, case. It's so sad. It's so sad. 
um, that because I, I yes I have I have been noticing about how Israel's been responding to the whole coronavirus bollocks, and I have to say you're not really that much better than us, are you? you, you you're still a bit shit, God, still I mean, a bit a bit a bit overreacting. Yeah, well no. we've now got to wear those those stupid bastards. You know, you'd think one of my theories. I, I have a lot of theories about about how sort of force majeure creates it shapes peoples so you would think wouldn't you or according to my 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 fantastical theory that israel because it deals with life and death on a daily basis because you could get off when you take to you could get blown up by a suicide bomber on the bus or whatever that therefore they would have no time for political correctness or for ima largely imaginary faux pandemics like like coronavirus and you'd also think in my again in my in my in my dreams that israel like jewish medics like real scientists who okay, know okay. their stuff no okay so i think that how we dealt with it to start with i think was actually fantastic um we shut right. our borders really early we shut down flights from china then we quickly in fact we had one flight come in from seoul in south korea um, that my friend was supposed to be actually flying back on. That flight landed, half a dozen Israelis got off and they sent everybody else back to Seoul. I mean, we really... Yes, it, like it was fortress World War Z. World War Z, it was, seen, we did that. It, it, see, that was fantastic. I love that scene in World War Z. I loved its understanding of Israel, where where Israel keeps out the zombies because it's because it's hardcore. But then, foolishly, foolishly Israel makes sing. the mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They make the mistake of singing, which attracts the zombies, and also don't they show a certain amount of weakness? And the weakness yeah. is where they get punished, and the zombies are over the walls, and that's it. And that's There's a lesson amazing. there. Uh, don't sing yeah. so don't we, show mercy we were, we were good at the beginning we we had very we've all we've had a very low death rate um and 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 uh, and we did come together and like things like food supply that the country is sorted for we 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 can feed ourselves i mean can if you? the country if if we shut down from the outside we'd lose some of we'd lose a lot of nice to have stuff but we can functionally feed ourselves properly We've got all the wheat we need. We've got we've got we've got all of the subsistence stuff that we need to get going. We've got all our own water. Um, energy wise, we're a bit we, we'd be a bit we'd be in a bit of a problem long term without oil deliveries. Um, but but we've got a lot of gas now, uh, so we. Yeah, I bet, okay. bet you'd be really shit on sausages, um, pork, and a, a lobster. I bet you wouldn't have any of those. We've got pork herds, but actually there's an actually there's a there's a really bizarre ruling, which is you can't allow them to walk on the ground. So any any pork farmers and there are Arab pork farmers, uh, Christian yeah. Arab pork farmers that they, they keep yeah. the pigs off the ground. They they have to have wooden wow. slats to walk. Yeah, yeah it's like <laughs> decking. I look it up, honestly, because we so even if so. So as long as I didn't discover I was actually Jewish, or well, I could be, I suppose, a non-observant Jew, couldn't I? I, I could, could buy I could bacon. still go I on eat... buy bacon. It's there. That's good. Right. And do you? Do you, Brian? No. I tend not to. Listen, okay. I, I like shellfish. I won't. I you know, I'll eat a lobster when I'm in London, but I don't seek the stuff out here. Let's let's. I, 
you know, this is again, this is the one of the dichotomies between the religious and the non-religious. And then there, there are some people who are like secular to an extreme. So they'll go out on a Friday night to eat to eat uh, a, a burger Lost. with bacon and cheese on it. Yeah. You know, to break as many rules just, in just one so go. Can... Yeah. <laughs> but but let's, cool. just, let's switch this round. So it's like, what makes me Israeli? I mean, for me, this is an indigenous identity. Okay. It's what Judaism and being Jewish is, is it something that happened here? We had our national genesis on this land. Now, our story has got Egypt in it and and, you know, Abraham came from Ur, wherever the hell that is. Um, but yeah. the genesis of the Jewish story, when when Abraham buys a, a cave to put his wife in, um, uh, it's in Hebron. It's the first recorded. It's the first recorded property purchase. I've checked. Try and find me a Greek one. They didn't write it down. The, the the first recorded property transaction in history is buying the cave that has become now the tomb of the patriarchs, where the patriarchs and the matriarchs of the Jewish tribes are buried in Hebron. So to say Hebron is an Arab place is just it's the it's the most extreme form of cultural appropriation you can imagine. That's where yeah. our story we, we made a land purchase. We my my forefathers. Uh, and the and the deed of that land is written into a book that the whole world calls the Bible. And so that underpins the identity here. Uh, and and when I say I'm indigenous, I mean Judaism yeah. and me with it, the language yeah. that we have revived. You know, the, my friend is a, a Canadian First Nation. He's from a tribe called the Métis, which is in northern Canada. And uh, he explained all this to me. He said, Jews and, and Israel, you're the greatest example of an indigenous people getting their land back. That's, we, we're the best one ever. Nobody's ever done what we did. We, In fact, we did yeah. it so well that the UN definition of indigenous people had to be subtly tweaked to exclude us. You know how they do that? Tell me. So they, they, they've got all these rules for, for what makes you indigenous. Do you have a culture that was born here? Do you speak a language that's got continuity going back? Do you, yeah, do, yeah. Do you have, uh, um, uh, do, do you make, um, does everything in your culture matter more when it's in the place where you come from? All of these things. Right. Are but then what they added was, and are you, are you, uh, an indigenous people is one who is not powerful in their land. So it is a minority. Oh God. So, so, right, okay. so they, they added, they added that the sort of, you know, this, this freaking intersectional power dynamic thing. So it's yeah. like, you can be indigenous, you can strive for indigenous power. As soon as you get it, no, you're not indigenous anymore. How, right, yeah, how yeah. brilliant is that's, the US? I have to so, say, Brian, looking at you. Yeah. If you, if you were in Fowder, yeah. I don't think you'd be very good at undercover passing as no, an no, Arab. No, no. Oh, okay. okay, this you have to understand. Again, 
I mean, I'll tell you a story back to 9-11. I know, uh, I know Jews who uh, yeah. were in America and were in the UK at around 9-11. When 9-11 happened, yeah. every security service in the world said, geez, we really need much more Arabic. And I know Jews who put themselves forward who are like the founder yeah. guy. And they didn't want to touch yeah. them. They only wanted Muslim Arabs. And, and you know, this is the thing you don't get. There's a friend of mine here called uh, uh, Professor Mordechai Kadar. He's, he's, he's famous for one YouTube clip where, he, where ages ago when he was on Al Jazeera. And he, he was brought up in an Arab village in Israel. He's, he's an older guy. But he's, he's a professor of Arab studies. He can pass as Arab anywhere and his, he can do different accents. And he was on Al Jazeera and that that he got into an argument with the host because the host said Jerusalem is mentioned in the Quran. And he pulled out, you know, my, my friend Kadar, he pulled out the Quran. This is all in Arabic and said, show me where in the Quran it says Jerusalem because it doesn't. Jerusalem is not yeah. named in the Quran anywhere. It just there's an oblique reference yeah. for this mosque. We've got so so much of our population, this is going away now to a certain extent, but that when they grow grew up, they grew up in Arabic households. The spy, you know, the, the thing with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen that was on Netflix about, yeah. you, you know, that's how he was able to do that in Syria. It, but yes. You forget what it is and, and how much of our population is split between you know, we've got we got, and then we've got the the million Russians, the descendants of a million Russians who arrived here in ten years. Yeah, Nigeria, yeah, yeah. You you want to hear an immigration story? This will make your heart. Yes, because between yeah. nineteen eighty nine and nineteen ninety nine, ten years just after the Berlin Wall, mm. Israel one million Russian Jews. One million. We were four and a half million people, Jews and Arabs at the beginning of that period. And over the next 10 years, we took in 20% of our population. It's a story My of gosh. that has never, I mean, you think Merkel was bad taking in 2 million yeah. Syrians into what, 70, 80, how many people in Germany, 80 million or something? Yeah. We were, we were four and a half million. We went to 5.7 million in 10 years yeah it's an it's a story of mass immigration and mass absorption that's never ever been equaled anywhere in the world ever nobody's ever done anything like this and, and how did it work yeah, was, it, was it good well what happened i mean the, the significant effect for me you know 20 years down the line is that it's press one for hebrew press two for arabic press three for russian and there's no freaking four for english i mean that, that's yeah. the difference uh, uh, and and now the kids of those russians are israelis and speaking hebrew and they're just into the mix and the difference is they came here to be jews we've got an idea what our identity is here now and our, our identity isn't just religious orthodox jews it's it's a, a whole range of religiosity but culturally you know we stop for yom kippur that's yeah again this is it's like you i lived out all my life as a jew outside israel so i come to live here and the very first year 
when Yom Kippur rolls around, which is the day everybody fasts. You know, as a Jew in England, I used to take the day off school and stay home. My kids thought my, my friends thought it was a, you know, you know, a strange dos. thing, a dos, you know, he's having a. But what happens when you live in Israel, the whole timetable of the year is built around that. And so when it happens, it's a national event. And Yom Kippur is very special because uh, my kids, for example, would call it the bicycle holiday. Why? There is, and, and I really, I went and checked this. There is actually no law on the statute books, but nobody drives. And I, when I say nobody drives, I mean, it, it is really dangerous to try and drive. So in religious areas, every Shabbat from Friday night to Saturday night, it's like this. There are no cars on the roads. But on Yom Kippur, it's everywhere, except the Arab, the Arabs tend to break this. But even then, you can't drive through my neighborhood in a car on Yom Kippur. You just you mustn't do it because there are four year olds on bicycles driving right down the middle yeah. of, this, of every road. I, You know, my kids, you know, they've got older a bit now, but I've driven on the motorway, you know, six lane highway. And we just ride our push bikes there for fun just because you can, because it's the one day a year. And it, it sort of looks like a, a post oil apocalypse Mad Max type thing because there's no cars, the air, air pollution, we're not even going to get into global warming, but I'm, I'm not a believer in anthropogenic global warming, but I don't like ground level air pollution. Turns out, yeah, sure. yeah, three hours after everybody stops driving and all industry shuts down, we even close the airspace. If you look on, you know, one of these flight radar apps at like, Two o'clock in the afternoon the of Yom Kippur, the planes start doing big diversions. You're not allowed to fly across Israel. And the air gets cleaner. And it's you can't hear the rumble of the motor. And it's fantastic. And it's one day a year. It's an amazing experiment. Mm -hmm. It's a social... And, and even the non-religious Jews observe this. Now, again, I told you, there's no law because we don't have a religious law saying don't drive. It's just stupid to drive. And everybody just organizes their life that one day they're not going to need their car. I mean, you stay home, some people fast, some people don't. But there is a national observance to it. I mean, it's, it's the same thing that you get in England on Christmas. Christmas feels different and special. But you're losing that. Yeah, yeah. Unless you, 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 you. That's what I mean is that. So when we took all these Russians and even if they weren't observant or whatever, they came here, but they came into a system where they were pretty much forced to learn Hebrew or at least the next generation had to learn Hebrew. They, the timetable of the year, the observances, the Passover holiday, all of this stuff means that we have a strong sense of national identity and we know what we are and when, we, when you bring immigrants into that and you choose only immigrants who want to assimilate not doesn't mean it doesn't mean we don't we want Yemeni Jews to be like Polish Jews we don't in fact one of the things I'm most sad about is that Yemeni Jews had a an indigenous culture in Yemen that goes back way before Islam think about it you know Jews have been in Yemen for 3,000 years, They're, they've yeah. got 
modes of speaking. They've got Yemeni, like we go to the beach, that the lifeguard at the beach is a yeah, he's from a Yemeni family, sort of unbelievably good looking guy with huge hair, fantastic surfer. Yemeni, religious, puts on to fill in. It's a shame that 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 culture, you know, the sort of distinction of Yemeni Jewry. Yeah. We now have to maintain that in Israel because it's been. Yes, it's a bit like sort of tigers at the zoo. Yeah. You, you understand? And, 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 and I would for sure class Yemeni Jewry as a, an indigenous identity. It, it, there's, no, there's no two ways about it, but it, it will be, we can't hold on to all of it. It'd be nice if we could. Mm. I mean, you know, before uh, Yathrib was a, was a Jewish town before it became Medina. I, I'm not advocating for the Greater Israel uh, project of taking over the whole Middle East. No, I think I, I could I could sense there might be ructions were that to take place. <laughs> um, so we've now I want I want to say two things. First of all, I want it to be known to you and to God that the fact that I'm doing this podcast with you now is not a substitute for Dick and James go to Israel. That's still going to happen. And when you do, I'll tell you what, yeah. I, this is the promise I will make to you. Your tour guide yeah. will be a woman called yeah. Hay Wilson. Uh, and yeah. she's a qualified registered Israeli tour guide who has the distinction of having been hacked to within a, a millimeter of her life by um, uh, by two Palestinian terrorists. Uh, and she survived. Unfortunately, her friend didn't. Great story. I'll, I'll put you in touch with her. Um, and... Uh, right. She survived okay. and wrote the most amazing book out of, out of the experience and the recovery and the PTSD and all of this stuff. Um, Whoa. Yeah. Okay, so there's that. And she'll, but she'll be your guide. And, and she was our guide, actually, with Tommy. Uh, and you go everywhere. You see where Jesus, you see the fishing boat. of it's, The country is just breathtakingly diverse. Uh, right. You've got to come. I, no, no, no. It, it's going to happen. I mean, listen, it, it might even have been this year had it not been for this bloody stupid um, yeah. COVID nonsense. Um, now, and tell me, Fowder, is, okay. it, is it as big in, in Israel and, and yeah. in Palestine as it is in... Yeah, you know, apparently it's, it's huge across the Arab world because they, they got to see how we really do stuff. And it was big here. It was very big here. I had to wait, unfortunately, longer than you, because whilst I'm sort of passable with some of the Hebrew, I can't read Hebrew subtitles for the Arabic. And I'm hopeless on Arabic. So I had to wait until Netflix put English on it. And then and then not only that, Netflix spent another six months before they showed it on Netflix Israel. Um, and in fact, what's happened, what, what's gone out now is that there's a, one of the writers has written something called Tehran, 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 Israel, and that apparently is a huge hit. But again, the same problem. That's in that's in Persian, so Farsi. So I've got no chance with that. So I'm going to have to wait for. What's Apple. what's Tehran about? That's about that's about the Mossad and and whatever's going on in Iran. That oh, is it? When's that coming out? Well, it's it's been shown here, and Apple TV have bought it. So 
you know, it'll be shown at some point. But Founder, you know, when I watch Founder, one of the interesting things about watching it, when it, when, when at least you can follow the Hebrew, is uh, yeah. like there is they they play some subtle games. So like there's a scene. Uh, we won't give too many spoilers, but there's a scene where yeah. um, the the Bedouin girlfriend of the boxer, yes, she knows yeah. now that Doran is an Israeli. So they're standing in the yeah. hallway of her school in the Arab town, and he's speaking yes. Arabic to her. She's answering him pointedly in very good Hebrew. And she's doing nice. it deliberately, standing in the hallway of this Arab place. He's speaking Arabic, she's speaking Hebrew. And she's making the point, I know you are a Jew. And she's doing that deliberately yeah. because, and because she's a Bedouin, she's an Israeli citizen, but she's an Israeli yeah. Arab citizen and she's in the Palestinian Authority areas. Now, the site when, when if i want to travel travel to uh hebron or amale there's a big red sign uh and it says entry to this area is prohibited for israeli citizens but the sign doesn't really mean that it means israeli jewish citizens because israeli arabs can go in there no trouble but if i were to go in there basically the sign says i'm it's, it's illegal for me to enter because nobody wants the hassle of rescuing me later you know if i get into some trouble now i have been in a couple of times to some areas that i'm not supposed to go with with the right guides and so on but yeah. i'm taking risk you know and that's all those areas where doron is you know when he's living in the in amongst them this yeah. is it's risky stuff just for, you know, I've done business with Arabs in uh, in Nablus. Nablus is uh, in the northern part of uh, Judea, Samaria. It's in Samaria, Samaritan, Samaria. Um, Nablus, I've, I, you know, I've had a client, uh, someone I sell stuff to, and he's always been inviting me in there, but I've never gone. I could go. I could go with him, but it's just I, I feel nervous now. Like I've got a sales guy who's part Arabic. He go. He used to go in, and he would go in, sit, have drink, have tea. He'd go past the security checkpoint, and they'd look at him, and they'd know he was a Jew. But because of who he was with, they would know that he was okay to be where he was. But you know, if right. it's a tension, what can happen is some kid can just see, know that he's a Jew, and stab him. Because right. you never, you never quite, and it was, so they play all sorts of games throughout that program with the language like that. You know, they flip. And like the other thing that happens all the way through it is when, when Doron or when, it, when one of them is undercover, even when they're in Gaza and they're talking on the phone to the controllers. And I don't, yeah, I, I asked someone if this is true and it is true. The controllers are speaking to them in Hebrew and they're answering in Arabic. And I'm like, why don't you just make it easy for them? You all speak Arabic. Just speak Arabic. Why give them the chance? Yes. But but they're having bilingual conversations, which you, you right. know, if you're really paying attention to the, the, the subtitles, you can see brackets around the Arabic. And it's like there's a code, but I cannot hear the, the Hebrew. And I'm thinking like, 
he's undercover. He's like crawling around some house. Why? Why are you talking to him in Hebrew? <laughs> so you said that it's popular. It's popular yeah. in in the Palestinian Authority yeah, yeah. areas and and across across the Arab world. Is across that right? Arab world. But, yeah, yeah. Because is it okay? So obviously, it gives away the Israeli security services secrets. That's that's partly appealing, presumably. But but. Is it, is it also because in an odd way, Fowder is quite sympathetic to, or no, oh, it, it's empathetic to the, to the, to the, to the Muslims and the Arabs. It, it doesn't sort of, they're not just cartoonish baddies. It, it gets their mindset. It I feels their pain, of, I think. Yeah. One of the writers, Avi Israel, he's, he writes for the, or he, I don't know if he still does. He wrote for the, for the Times of Israel for a while and he's, he would I, I would put him on a center left sort of political spectrum. And so he does have a tremendous amount of sympathy for the day to day cases. And, and like in the, the most recent series, series three, you know, there was a big, strong undercurrent of the fact that Doron kept doing stuff that just made a whole thing spiral out of control. Bad. And they were. Yeah, they were. Yeah giving you the whole cycle of violence type argument and sure. i can't say you know i don't like that um because you know i i fundamentally see an issue of there is a reason why israel and jews have to be here uh and yeah it once you detach yourselves from whether we should or shouldn't be allowed to have a jewish state in israel then you can get into this cycle of violence nonsense for the rest of your life and not understand that, that look, I, you know, the bad stuff happens. People with guns, if there are people with guns, then there are people who get killed. Uh, and sometimes it's justified, sometimes it isn't. But the, the fundamental nature is, I know that if we laid down all our weapons, we'd be slaughtered. If they laid down all their weapons, we'd have a shot at, tr at, at peace. And there is a fundamental truth. You know, all of the, I keep giving this example, you know, on Twitter constantly. You're committing genocide, the genocide of the Palestinian people. And you draw them a graph and you say there's, there were 600 and 700,000 Palestinians in 1948. And there's three or four million today. Show me another genocide. Yeah. And it's like the line I say is that... Jews excel in almost all walks of life. I mean, we, 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 you know, we're off the charts in literature and Nobel Prizes and all of this stuff. We're crap at two things. Professional golf. Find me yeah. professional golfer who's won a serious major title, who's Jewish. It's, it's very difficult. And committing genocide. We suck at that. I mean, we know, you know. We've got... <laughs> We've got more tanks than the British Army has horses. And don't even get me started on how many tanks the British Army has. I think we, I think we have 700 frontline Merkava tanks, four and five. The, the, we, we have enough, and, and our tanks are the best in the world. They've got this trophy system. They're invulnerable. You can't shoot rockets at them, whatever. We, you know, we can flatten Gaza in an instant. You know, it's, it's all an afternoon's work. Why do we not do it? Because we're not genocidal, because there's nothing in the Jewish makeup that would allow us to commit wanton wholesale slaughter. We, we just, yeah. there might be a few aberrant individuals who will pick up a gun and go kill people. 
but they are aberrant and they are you know we treat them with the horror and and we we, we really don't like them um whereas on the yeah. other side they they venerate these people and give them pensions which you pay for with your taxes yes that's that's very true i i can see why you'd find the lefty elements within father annoying at the same time i think you know as, a, as an outsider uh, with an outsider with antennae which are quite carefully tuned to spotting any examples of kind of lefty selloutness and stuff i think what father captures very well is that that thing as of we love death like you love life there's very much that dichotomy between the israeli view of the world where that you know when they yes. after an operation's over they hang out with their mates with, with their habibis they have their they have their beers and their cigarettes and they go to clubs and the clubs Maybe are Western. And yeah, 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 I know. But it, I, I just I love, love spotting you every time it right appears in the script. Uh, and at the other end of the spectrum, you've got this death cult. I mean, that's what it is. It's just death. Maybe that's what it is. Palestinians don't want to go along with it, but it is. I, you know, I've had, again, when you sit down with actual real arabs and and palestinian arabs if you can get them to a point where they're comfortable and they're you, you know they they don't like islam they're not fans of it they won't say that and they can't express that and they'll eat on ramadan but only if they're very certain nobody's looking you know that kind it's yeah. that kind of thing it's you know, I when I was in England, the reason I'm called Brian of London is I started blogging back in the earliest days of blogging, uh, you know, soon after 9-11 and podcasting. And I did it under a pseudonym because I was saying stuff about Islam and I was, you know, hardcore into the counter jihad stuff. And funnily enough, coming to Israel, which has got many, many, many more Muslims around us than anywhere in England, even, you know, 20 percent of Israel is Muslim let alone the disputed territories, it managed, somehow it managed to soften my views on the way people react with their Islam here. But even, but, but Founder didn't pull punches in that. In fact, the very, I think the very first lines spoken in Arabic of the, of the third series, it's, it's Allahu Akbar. And then, and then they're in, they're reciting Surah 1 in the mosque. And Surah 1 is, we curse those who've gone astray and we curse those who've been led astray and this is part of the the daily this is the most repeated prayer cursing those who've gone astray that's you that's the christians sorry that's that's us that's the jews those who've been led astray are the dumb christians who followed the jews you know it's like that's fundamental (laughs) and and so i can't be too hard on people who have that drummed into them from 18 months it's it's and that's the tough part of but like i walked around the one time i've walked around one of the refugee camps in um in bethlehem and that was when i went in there with tommy uh and we went in with a guide my friend Kay set this up but she did not go in because they don't the security services watch over her because that you know something bad happened to her they don't want anything else to happen to her so her friend services said it's okay if your friends go in with this guide but you're not allowed to go in don't go in 
and she takes their advice very seriously. So we went in. Tommy was nervous as hell because um, he's thinking, you know, it's like this is I'm walking into the middle of a Palestinian refugee camp. But it's not a refugee camp with tens. It's just a bad neighborhood. You know, the, the housing yeah. is packed tightly together. There's no playgrounds. And it's been kept that way as a as a as a, just a bargaining chip. It's horrible because uh, this one was in Bethlehem, but there's another one in Nablus. I can drive to a, a hill. You look down on Nablus. There's this modern Arab town with nice apartments like you saw in Fowder. And then in the middle of it, there's this dirty old gray, horrible bit. And all around it are nice new, new apartment buildings. They've been living like that way for 40 years. It would be the work of two years to build a whole bunch of nice housing just to the side, go in there with bulldozers, knock it all down and then build nice houses. And the money has been there. Billions have flowed in, but they don't do it. And so all through this refugee camp that we walk through, on every wall is a mural of another terrorist and another terrorist and another terrorist. You know, the, the woman who took the who killed everybody on the bus in Haifa, the one who took over the aeroplane. These people are literally on the walls. That's the messy and the uh, and the Beckhams. That's what these kids see as their hero. And yeah. how do you get out of that? And the worst part is they've been shoveling money at these people for this so long and this is what you've got it's it's a manufactured problem i mean islam's yeah. not going away and jihad won't stop but oh my god it's been made so much worse by by do-gooder lefties brian i i've so enjoyed this conversation um that i want to have another one with you i did yeah i did in as well yeah yeah tell you, Are you a few weeks what you, you tell me now or, or or later? I'll tell you a little bit. I'll just tease it. Give me the short version. So I've got I've got to go and have my my neck is completely buggered and I've got to go. Uh, I've got an appointment. But you tell me the, tell me this thing. The, I'll tell you the, the just the high level pitch. Friend of mine uh, uh, is a lawyer from Australia, and I'm helping him. And together he and I are representing. We've got about 450 people so far all people who held cryptocurrencies in 2018 and together yeah. we're suing facebook google and twitter in australia for about 300 billion dollars because they banned the entire cryptocurrency industry from advertising one they they did it all almost at the same time and this is an illegal cartel in australia and we're going to sue them in Australia in a massive class action. And we're almost at the Ooh. point of being able to file this thing. Yeah. I, ha I had cryptos then. Does that mean that I'm if eligible? Held, yes, I'm going to send you the link after this. You can sign up. No win, no fee. You just put your name down, say how much you had. Uh, you can even do it anonymously, actually. Uh, and you will be in line for... A little bit of the damages that we can manage to pull out of these guys. So, but so you mean the, 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 the value of my cryptos was was reduced as a result of this cartel? Yeah, and there's other business losses. People, businesses went out of business. Uh, exchanges did far less uh, business in 2018 following this this advent. And what actually, and then it got even worse because 
not only did Facebook actually led this, at the end of this January 2018, they put into their financial terms and conditions that cryptocurrencies are frequently associated with misleading and deceptive practices, and they banned all advertising related to cryptocurrencies. And then, in fact, they extended it and that they kind of made it for anything related to blockchain. Meanwhile, at that same month, we later discovered, they formed an internal division of Facebook, which they called Libra. They staffed it up because we can see the profiles of the woman who went to head it. And she started work that month. And 18 months later, which is sort of middle of last year, they announced Libra. So they were working on, they banned cryptocurrency advertising. And a year later, they come out with their own cryptocurrency proposal, which is not going to go anywhere. But we don't even need to prove to the Australian court that they did that deliberately because it actually doesn't. It, they broke the law without that. But, oh, my God, does yeah. it look bad. And I'll tell you another one, just the last thing. Jack Dorsey of Twitter, he's not blameless. In January of 2018, Jack Dorsey was being very proud and tweeting about the fact that on Cash App, which is owned by Square, which is owned by him, you could buy you Bitcoin. And he also banned advertising by most cryptocurrency companies on Twitter. So he's pushing it on his platform and banning it for everyone else. And this is a cartel. And America has got all the right laws for cartels for price fixing, but they don't have the right laws for restriction of supply of essential goods and services. And that's what Australia has. And Australia, you know the Australians, they're all about fairness. They hate unfair. You know, they're, they're not yeah. cheats, uh, except for some ball incidents. But the advantage <laughs> we have, um, the advantage we have in Australia is that Facebook, Google and Twitter are hated there because all they've done is they, they've destroyed at journalism in Australia like they've destroyed it everywhere else. And they're just money collecting buckets. People pour money into Facebook, Google and Twitter and Facebook, Google and Twitter ship it off to Ireland and other tax havens. So they've got no political They've got no political cover in Australia and they don't have hordes of in-house lawyers. They're going to have to hire lawyers. And we're going to sue. And that's oh, well I done. file soon. And so when we file, that's when I'll come back and uh, tell you more. OK, that's great. Brian, it's been lovely having you on the podcast. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you for real in in Israel. Um, and um, yeah, thank you very much. And, and thank you for confirming that I am very similar to Deron, apart from my maybe a little skinnier. You're skinnier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You might even run better than him. You always looked a bit bad. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I box better. And I'm probably not. I'm not as good at not killing good people with my bare hands. No, <laughs> I'm not. That's the other thing I want to do. I want to do. Um, how do you pronounce it? Krav Maga. Krav Maga. I want to do Krav Maga. Yeah. Actually, I take you. I'll tell you. Uh, there's a great place that will that will teach you to shoot as well. Just give you the feeling of what it is. I went on a shooting course one time and I had this this big German guy uh, screaming at me while I, while he, that was the exercise. It was like things were popping up and he was screaming yes, in my yes. ear. Yeah, that whole stress. That's what, that's what I want. Yeah, yeah, I want I want women holding babies and I want to see whether I kill them or not. That's exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. got the plan. Yeah. 
Good. Uh, may I remind my lovely special listening friends all around the world um, that freedom isn't free and you can you can sponsor me on Patreon or subscribe star and you can get early access to all my brilliant podcasts like this one. You can obviously help fund Dick and James go to Israel. And uh, yeah, and you do you get my not my spectator column and you get to hang out with a community of like minded folks. So it's a really good deal. So think about that. And um, thank you again to Brown London. And bye, everybody. Bye.